Loving Father, we are truly grateful once again to come together as a family to study your wonderful words of life. Lord, I pray that you might please abide with us and help us that we can learn how to put our trust in you and to allow you to be the solution to our problems and to know that as Jesus abides within our hearts, we are able to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this session is the reality that when we accept Christ and we become a part of his church, you will find that sometimes what will happen is, like I said, the, the, the first conflict is going to be with self. And the best way to overcome self is to constantly keep Christ in the forefront of your mind. you got to watch his life. And you got to look at him. Um, go to Matthew 11. And here's one of the chief things. And it's really unfortunate because now that I do Bible work with others, etc., you know, and prepare people for baptism, I'd really take a different approach than probably was traditionally done. It is not that it's an issue to teach people the Sabbath, uh, to teach them the spirit of prophecy being the testimony of Jesus, to teach them the sanctuary and to teach them the various reforms from, you know, dietary reforms and, of course, dress reform and Sabbath reform even, as well as education reform, recreation reform, and the list goes on. Lots of reforms. These things still need to be taught to new believers. No question about it. But these are some things sometimes we don't spend enough time on. Look at Jesus' instruction in Matthew 11. I wonder if you ever caught this. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, right? Look at verse 28. And the Bible says in Matthew 11 and verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, how many? All, all right? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And then he says, and I will give you rest. Now watch this. After he makes that promise, he then gives this command. He says, take my yoke upon you and do what? Learn of me. That is a very important instruction. Learn of me. Now, do you know Jesus actually told us what he wants us to learn? He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Then what does he say next? For I am what? Meek and what do you think Christ wants us chiefly to learn of him? His humility. Isn't that something? How many of you have gotten a lot of studies on humility when you were joining the church? What is one of the number one problems that we have in the church? Pride. What is the complete opposite of pride? Humility. Now, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. And that's how you'll find rest unto your soul. The more that we understand and learn the humility of Christ, that's why I keep going back to it. How does God say I'm willing to be destroyed so that I can save evil people? The mind can't grab that. That's why the prophet of God says we're going to spend eternity trying to understand the love of God. Why would you do that? Like I said, it prompted me. That's crazy, because that was the only thing I knew what to say. Why would you do that? I don't understand why you would do that. And I don't have a logical thing. God is simply saying, because I am the embodiment of love. That is who I am. And that's how self-sacrificing I am. And then Jesus says, now I want you to learn this about me. Because, my brothers and sisters, when you come into the church... When you come into the faith, when you accept these truths, make no mistake about it. Number one, you're going to go through conflict just with yourself because it's a lifestyle of self-denial. This is why you got to compare scripture with scripture. You remember in our last session, we looked at Matthew 16 and verse 24, where it says, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and do what else? Take up his cross and follow me. Go to Luke 9. I taught this before, but it's worthy to look at it again. Luke 9. You see, the reason why repetition is so important with God's people is because we have a natural tendency to forget. It's all over the scripture. We have a natural tendency. God's people have a natural tendency to forget what God has said. And it's for this reason that the Bible is just loaded with repeats. The book of Deuteronomy is known as the book of repeats. Just repeating, repeating, repeating. Why? Because we need to have things stated over and over and over again. And so Matthew tells us 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now look at Luke 9. Luke 9 and verse 23. What does that say? It says in Luke 9, right there in verse 23. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What? Daily. 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 And follow me. You cannot take a break from self-denial. Do you see that? God says daily. Now, what is going to motivate you to do that? You must learn of me, he says. You got to keep the true education in front of you. You got to keep the key source, the chief source. That's why my appeal, I think more people should have stood up personally. But that's why in my appeal, I said, how many of us have failed of allowing Jesus to stay in the forefront of our minds, etc.? Because you have no idea how easy it is to not put him in the forefront. It's very easy to put Jesus in the backdrop. It's like really easy. And so a lot of us have learned to do that. We've cultivated our minds to do that. And so we put him in the back and we say, I got this. I'm taking control of this situation right now. And we go in and a lot of times a lot of damage takes place. And so Jesus says, learn of me. I want you to learn my self-denial. I want you to learn my humility. And I need you to take up your cross and I need you to do it every single day. Because the human mind has a natural tendency to forget. You understand that? Human mind has a natural tendency to forget. This is why God says do it daily. I stand in agreement with Pastor Marah that there are a lot of people who profess present truth. I mean, you know, I can go into my horror stories as well. I don't think I need to. But the point is, is that there's a lot of us that believe the first, the second, the third angel's message. We know how to repeat it verbatim. Uh, We can really walk through Daniel 8, Daniel 12, uh, Daniel 11, and we can break down Revelation 12 and, of course, 14, 13, 17, 18. We can explain a lot, but somehow these truths has not broken that hold that the enemy has on some of us, especially when it comes to the warfare, the conflict, the adversity that we realize in the home. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 5. And I want you to watch what the Bible says. 1 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 5. Because outside of the conflict you'll have with self, another place in ministry you're going to run into conflict is in your home. In 1 Timothy 5, The Bible says in verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of where? His own house. He has denied the faith and is an infidel. Is that what the verse says? It says he is what? He's worse than an infidel. He's worse than a heathen. He's worse than a worldling. Yes, the natural conclusion that many take of this verse is I got to provide for my home, meaning I got to work and I got to provide money so that heat stays on, the AC stays on and the mortgage is paid, etc. And there is no question in my mind that certainly part of a man's provision for his home is to sustain it. That, that's not an issue. But should we think even for a moment that the provision that God wants for us to make for our home is merely finances? I mean, should we dare even make such an assumption? I pray that it would never be said. Now watch this. So what else does a man need to provide for his home? Talk to me. Spiritual what? Spiritual living. That's way too broad and abstract. Break it down. Spiritual guidance. Break it down. Okay, so daily devotion. All right. Priest of his family. How? Morning, evening worship, prayer, okay, Bible study, anything else? Stewardship, again, some people will look at that in the context of finances. So, yes, that's true, but is there more? Faithfulness, okay? I like this a lot. That's what I'm saying. I wish we had no clock. I wish I had power to just freeze that thing. It's like, because I'm hearing a lot. But it's funny how the thing that we should hear first has not even come up yet. (laughs) Okay. 
Faithfulness living, I hear you. That's, that's good, huh? Intercession. Intercession, no doubt. I agree. Huh? <laughs> Communication. Communication. That was way down on the totem pole, but I agree. Communication. What else? Holiness. Good example. How about love? Um, here's a question. Here's a question. What is another word for husband? House band. What is he binding his family in? He's binding his family in the love of God, is he not? He's binding them together in the love of God. So what is the number one thing that the husband should be chief in understanding? He should understand the love of God and he should be a demonstration of it to his family. Are you following? And so it is. Look at this uh, statement here. One of the things that happens when we accept the message, accept the truth, uh, and we begin to embrace God's words, we know that, hey, I got to start living this thing. So here's what happens. And, and I thought that this was very interesting. Go to the book of Second Thessalonians. I, I want to show you a danger that we typically can fall into and then that thing can spill out in the home. Lord have mercy. Watch this. Second Thessalonians. We're looking at chapter three. And I want you to watch what the Bible says here. Second Thessalonians. We're looking at what chapter? Three. I want you to watch verses seven to twelve. This was an issue in the church of Thessalonica. And Paul had to address this issue. But I want you to watch what really was this issue. Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians three verse seven. The Bible says for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. What is Paul talking about? What do you mean you didn't behave yourself disorderly among you? What's he talking about? Let's take a look. Verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. But we wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves and what? To make ourselves and sample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not do what? If any man would not work, what shouldn't he do? Neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. There was fanaticism amongst God's people. What was the point of fanaticism in the verse? It was more than just being busybodies. Why were they busybodies? Because they weren't working. They had too much what? Not just simply free time, but what's another word for it? The devil's workshop. Idle time. You get that? These brothers had so much idle time because they refused to work. They wanted to become so heavenly minded, they forgot to be any earthly good. And so they refused to work in the name of God. Do you know that this happened in Adventist history? Literally, the history of our church, this happened. There were people who actually felt that they were so holy that they said work is beneath us. And they literally would make other people feel obligated to feed them and to provide for them and to give them food and all these other things. And they would not work because they're too busy, you know, believing in God's truth for the time, etc. It was a mass fanaticism. OK, ridiculous fanaticism. But it existed amongst God's people. When we accept this truth, when we accept this message, one of the dangers that we run into is that we can fall into the trap of fanaticism. And the first place that we bring fanaticism to is our homes. And that's why many a times we have individuals who say, I have a big family and I'm the only Adventist in my family. Sometimes, not all the time, please hear me good, okay? Not all the time. But sometimes the reason that fact is, is because we have embraced fanatical positions. 
in relation to the word of God. And we brought it into our homes and we introduced this to our wives or we introduced this to our husbands or we introduced this to our children. And this is when a lot of very bad things start happening in the home circle. And what was designed to be a picture of heaven, the home, becomes a picture of hell. It was never God's plan. Ellen White has a beautiful way of describing a fanatic. Listen to this. It says, this is from Acts of the Apostles, page 348. In every age, how many ages? Every age. So would that include our age? All right. It says, in every age, Satan has sought to impair the efforts of God's servants by introducing into the church a spirit of fanaticism. That's why it never surprises me when I hear people say these strange things. I'm like, all right, well, here goes fanaticism. We're in an age. Here goes fanaticism again. But watch. It says, thus it was in Paul's day, and thus it was in later centuries during the time of the Reformation. Wycliffe, Luther, and many others who blessed the world by their influence of their faith encountered the wiles by which the enemy seeks. Now, here we go. Look at this excellent description of fanaticism from the spirit of prophecy. It says, who blessed the world by their influence and their faith and countered the wiles by which the enemy seeks to lead into fanaticism. What's that word? Overzealous. Overzealous. What else? Unbalanced and unsanctified minds. That typically sums up a fanatic. Overzealous, unbalanced, unsanctified. That is what is often connected to someone who is fanatical. Overzealous, unbalanced, unsanctified. And so it says, misguided souls have taught that the attainment of true holiness carries the mind above all earthly thoughts and leads men to refrain wholly from labor. So this is again what was happening in the days of Paul. They became so spiritually minded that they said, you know what, we need to detach ourselves from all this worldly stuff, so we're not even going to work a job anymore. I think there's a present truth application to that. There are some people who believe God's truth for this time, first, second, third angel. And they will actually say, we have been called to finish the work. and We've been called to do thus and so. And they will quit their secular job, a regular job where they were just making money to help support their homes. And they will quit those jobs. They will move sometimes in or back in with their parents, live in their basement apartment or live in some section of the house. The father and the mother takes up the brunt of the bills and everything else while they go ahead and move inside the house while they're trying to start up their ministry. So they can make up their own self-supporting ministry and they avoid working a job. What's pretty sad is some of these brothers are married. So they brought a woman into this mess. And that's why I said, Lord, hear me good. Woe be to the man that asks my daughter's hand in marriage. Do you hear me? That brother is going to go under private investigation. Do you understand me? I am going to make sure with every discerning ray of God's light, love, and ministry that he's given to me. That some brother does not drag my daughters into a fanatical marriage. And that's why I am so strong in marriage counseling. That it's like, look, if you're not da-da-da-da-da-da, I don't recommend you get married. And anybody who's counseled with me in marriage, and there's been quite a few, we we tell them straight up, we, we will let you know, we don't recommend you get married right now. But everything is based on the word. It's like, this is what the word of God says. If you're not willing to comply with this, there's no point in going further down and talking about a whole bunch of other stuff. If you can't run with the footman, how in the world are you going to run with the horseman? If you can't handle this part of the counseling, there's no need to go further into counseling. We have to understand that fanaticism is serious. And I'm dead serious. There are a lot of people that are doing this. There are people that are not working a regular job to earn an honest wage Living back with their parents when they, they, they so hardcore on the Bible, I'm like, well, what, what part of the verse you didn't read? Leave father and mother and cleave to your wife. That's what the verse says. 
So why are you going back to your father and mother? Because you're like, no, nah, I got to start my ministry. It's like, listen, what I'm saying is, is that it's unfortunate, but we're seeing an aspect of 2 Thessalonians 3 and what we're reading in Acts of the Apostles 3.48. We're seeing some of that stuff happen today in present truth. You'd be amazed. Sometimes I know a little too much. And seriously, I just know a lot of dynamics of what goes on with a lot of people. And what I'm saying is there are people that are doing this today. They are literally walking away sometimes from good jobs because they feel they're wasting their time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Honest employment is not a waste of time. And because it's secular employment doesn't mean you can't bring Christ with you. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Before... I went into full-time. Today, yes, today, my family and I are in full-time gospel medical missionary work. That's what my family and I do full-time. And we've been doing this for over 10 years. What I'm saying is, is I look back at my life and I appreciate God's leading. Because as much as I hate my job, and you know, I get up, and, I'm like, and don't get me wrong, I understand the passion of, man, you know what, oh, this this job, I wish I could just be out there in ministry. I understand that burden. I understand that passion. But sometimes the Lord has things for us at that job that you need to learn that's going to help develop your character so that you can be entrusted with ministry. Because for a lot of people, ministry is fun and is sanctified laziness. I am dead serious. For a lot of people, ministry is fun. Now I could be lazy especially if the ministry has no problem receiving tithe. Because now they're like, man, we can get y'all tithe, you know. Find a nurse. Get three nurses. If you can get three nurses, the average income is sixty to 80000 a year. Multiply that, and that's what you'll get in tithe every single month, and you can relax. You know, I'd like to say that I'm just making this up. You don't understand. This has literally been the thought processes of certain people that's in ministry right now. I'm dead serious. And so for a lot of people, it's just sanctified laziness. So what I'm saying is that God wants us to understand there's a time and place for everything. Way before. And you know, it's funny. When I talk with a lot of the gospel workers who are in ministry right now, full-time workers, a lot of us have the same testimony. I say, praise God for that. That's, that's the power of God's spirit. Number one, none of us were looking to go into full-time ministry. None of us. We were not like, oh, Lord, please give us full-time ministry. I hate my job. I hate my job. We weren't doing that. We had battles at the job, but we were fine at our jobs. I turned my job into my church. Amen. You, I wish you could go. You can go back to Charter Communications. You can go back to ITC Deltacom. You can go back to Worldcom. You can go back to Quest Communicate. You can go back to any of my jobs, and you can see from engineers to managers to directors. Oh yeah, Dwayne, that Bible guy, always talking about the Bible, giving us books, holding midday Bible studies in the conference office during lunch. Amen. You know what I'm saying? That's it, brother. Seriously, that's it. That's how God will prepare you for the next level. That's exactly what we did. We turned our job into a little church. We said, nah, man, we're going we're gonna to find people here that need Jesus, and we're going to go ahead and create a way that we can communicate the gospel. And that's exactly what we did. And it was God that said, it's time to go. It's time to bring you to another level. I need to use you on a larger level. What I'm saying is, is that Paul acknowledges that there are some people that are fanatics, and they will begin to look at work and labor in the secular field as something bad. And they'll begin talking about, oh, no, 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 God called me to, to start my self-supported ministry. And while they're trying to start their self-supported ministry, they are literally living off of others. So as much as we look at 2 Thessalonians 3 and we read Acts of the Apostles and we say, oh, that's past issues. That's present issues. There's people doing that right now. And that is not God's plan. You need to work where you can find time for your hands to work. Now, the key is this. Fanaticism usually does not affect just the individual. It's going to affect those around you. And the first people around you is in our it's our home. And so whether your fanatical position is this money thing over here or if it's something else, the issue is we often bring that thing into our home. This is why it is so important not to do rushed baptisms. 
That thing is a killer in our church. We rush people into the pool. When you rush somebody into a pool, there's so much understanding they don't have. And so when they're called to deny self, when they're called to take up the cross, when they're called to learn of him, and when they're called to embrace all these things, they don't know how to do it. They joined the ranks too early, and now they're going to take the little smidgets of what they know and a lot of overzealous behavior, unbalanced behavior, unsanctified behavior, and they're going to bring that stuff into their home. And next thing you know, you got husbands and wives now that are estranged. And you know what they do? They say, see, the Seventh-day Adventist church did this. This weird group of people, they did it. They ruined my marriage. They didn't ruin anything. What happened is God has given us a message that's designed to help your home turn into heaven. But the problem is, is that we move too quick. That's the issue. And so we're told in inspiration, it's right here very clearly, the circle of family and neighborhood duties is the very first field of effort for those who would work for the uplifting of their fellow men. Ministry Healing, page 350. So the first work of ministry is going to be the home. But the conflict and adversity that we often will run into will be in the home. And one of the first reasons why is because perhaps we are overzealous, unbalanced, unsanctified. Some of us right now have problems in our home. And those problems, those conflicts and adversity that we're having in our home, some of it is because of fanatical positions that we are holding to. And that's the first thing God needs you to check. If you learn a health message, isn't that wonderful? You love the health message? Brother says, I love the health message. I love the health message. When I was in critical care unit from my open heart surgery, that nurse came to me and he said, brother, he said, I'll tell you this. He said, you're the healthiest person in this whole ward. He said, whatever you were doing, my doctor said it, Dr. Wong, all of them. They said, whatever you were doing prior to this event, is the reason why you're able to get out of here. As fast as you are, all I had to take was a baby aspirin for about a month. And after that, no meds. My wife would tell you I'm recovering from my surgery and we're in a hotel trying to recover. And I got pain, I got all sorts of stuff going on. But I would tell my wife, I gotta go exercise. The doctor said I gotta exercise. And I would literally walk out of the hotel and make my own path for a 30-minute workout. And I would just literally say, okay, we're going to go up here, we're going to go up here, then we're going to cut back down, then we're going to go here, then we're going to cut here, cut back down, then we're going to cut left, then we're going to go down here, then we're going to come back, and then we're going to go up here, and da-da-da. Okay, that took 15 minutes. Let me do it twice. And then literally, I would go ahead and do it twice. What I'm telling you is that I thank God for this health message. The reason you need to take it seriously is because your crisis is probably on its way. If you would have asked me in October of 2016 and beyond, hey, Dwayne, you think you're going to end up getting open heart surgery? I'd have been like, of course not. What are you, crazy? I'm a healthy guy. But when November came and I saw the cardiologist and he's like, Mr. Lemon, are you going through swelling of your ankles? Are you going through the?" I'm like, no, I'm not going through any of that. Why you ask? And he said, because um, your mitral valve is severely regurgitating. Your left atrium is getting huge. You can go into atrial fibrillation at any time. And he's telling me all this stuff. And I was asymptomatic. There were no symptoms. Dr. Banzo over at Loma Linda told my wife after he did the transesophical echocardiogram, TEE, he went and looked at my heart with that camera. She said, Mrs. Lemon, your husband's heart is bleeding so bad that he couldn't even walk up a flight of steps without being winded. That brother doesn't know that just a week before, I was brisk walking at 4.5 miles per hour for 28 minutes, nonstop, running up and down the steps and everything. 
take the health message seriously now. Because you don't know if your crisis is on its way. And what you don't want is for your crisis to come and you get hit. And the next thing you know, because of all that neglect, you're taking a long time to heal. You're taking a long time to get better. Maybe you won't heal. You understand that? Take that thing seriously, family. God gave it to you as a gift. Take it seriously. But as wonderful as our health message is, does that mean that we should just walk in our homes and immediately turn over every pot and every pan in our house and say every single one of you heathens gonna eat like how I eat. <laughs> is that what we should do? My brothers and sisters, you see, this is what I'm saying. Sometimes fanaticism causes us to come into our homes and function like this. And then brothers will have the nerve to call me, talking about Brother Lemon, my wife don't listen to me. My wife don't follow instructions. She doesn't love the present truth. Da, 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 da. And, all, and I'm just like, okay, so tell me what's going on. And once I'm told what's going on, I'm like, can we talk with your wife? Okay, let's get your wife on the phone. And next thing you know, stuff starts coming up. That, that brother sometimes, or that sister, they'll start seeing, you know what, maybe I've been a little overzealous. Maybe I've been a little unbalanced. Brothers commanding their wives. Oh, I can go into a lot. But the point is this. What God wants us to understand is one of the first reasons when you have conflict and adversity in the home, my recommendation is the first step I'm encouraging you to do is find out your checkpoints for fanaticism. Look for this situation. Again, I'm going to put it up on the screen because I just think it's so worthy. Ask yourself, am I being overzealous? What does it mean to be overzealous? Talk to me. You got a zeal, right? You have a passion or an excitement for something. How do you turn that zeal, that passion or excitement into overdrive? How do you do that? Okay, so you try to make others do what you're doing, how you do it. Can that be an overzealous situation? Now, give me an example of where something like that is done. This is what I'm saying. I, I wish we could just... Get a big circle, man, and just talk about this because this is it. How do say again? Diet. Diet. Okay, so diet. So again, a man is married to a woman who is not Seventh Day Adventist. She wants to continue eating pork chops and make shrimp kebabs. But he's a Seventh Day Adventist. What should he do? Okay, so question, should he just take all the shrimp in the freezer, all the pork chops in the freezer, and bless the garbage can with it? Should he do that? Okay, so let's go to Acts 17. Let's watch this. Now, remember this. Acts 17, right? So you remember Paul meets these people. They were in Athens, Greece, and Paul is reasoning with these Athenians, and they were doing something that was abominable. Okay? They were doing something that was abominable. But I do want you to watch what the Bible says here. Now, Acts 17, the Bible makes it clear in verse 23 that Paul passed by and he beheld their devotions, worship experiences, and he found an altar with the inscription that said what? To the unknown God. So they were practicing paganism. Is that an abomination? Absolutely. Idolatry. That's an abomination. Okay. So they're practicing abomination. What's the first thing that Paul does? Does he just go ahead and knock down their altar? No, he does not. What does he do? He begins to preach the gospel, right? He makes the unknown God known. And then he says in verse 30, he says in verse 30, and the times of this ignorance, what did God do? What does it mean to wink? Not hold accountable. You understand that? He winked at it. He did not hold them accountable. He did not label them as offensive idolaters worthy of punishment. He did not do that. He said, all right, you're ignorant. During your times of ignorance, God overlooked it. That's what it means in the Greek to wink, to overlook. So he came to them, met them where they were, didn't act like he was higher and mightier than them, educated them, and then brought them to higher ground. Now, Watch again verse 30. So he says, in these times of ignorance, God did what? But now look at what he says in verse 31. I like this. 
Oh, I'm sorry, it is in verse 30. The finishing of the verse. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. So now that they know, now that they understand, he says, now we need to repent and turn away from this. You get that? So you can't just come home and just turn over the pots and pans and go in the freezer and just grab everything and toss it. You can't do that. What you got to do is you got to have, instead of a ministry of condemnation, you must have a ministry of education. Right? This is phase one when we are bringing ministry into our home. We must understand that if God is saying the first field of effort is in the family, then God says the first thing I want my people to understand is you must embrace a ministry of education. Not a ministry of condemnation. You're not there to come into your house and say, honey, you are a bona fide mess and I got to fix you up. <laughs> Dear, da, 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 you're a mess. I got to fix you up. What you are going to do is you're going to come in with the spirit of Christ. Amen. Same love. This is why I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If y'all don't get it, that's your loss. But I'm going to make sure I got it by God's grace. Amen. That message at 11 o'clock, that was serious. It's not, oh, but Dwayne versus... Alvin or Andre, because I mean, I don't even waste my time comparing. My point is, it's foundational. You will not be motivated to let Christ live in your heart constantly if you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand what he did for you. This is what I'm saying. It's, it, you can teach abiding in Christ blindfolded. That's not the issue. What is it that's going to really help the person say, I'm willing to let Christ live out his righteous life in me daily. What's going to do that? You got to understand what he did for you. You got to understand his love. If you don't understand that, you will not be motivated to live for him daily and take up your cross. You're not going to do it. So what I'm saying is, is that we must ever keep in front of us. What did Jesus do for me? Let me now do thou likewise to my wife. What did Jesus do for me? Let me now likewise do that for my husband. You understand that? That has to be the mode of ministry. So again, ministry of education, not a ministry of condemnation. You understand that? Our ministry is a ministry of education. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. God says to a whole bunch of stiff-necked, wretched, nasty people that he said, that's what y'all are earlier. He said, your whole head is sick and your whole heart's faint. Then he says in Isaiah 1 and 18, come now, let's reason. I like that, man. Do you know, uh, write this down. Early writings, page 119. Oh, husbands and wives, you're going to like this one. You're going to like this. Uh, you know, what I think is so powerful about this, uh, yeah, let's see here. What I really love about this is that if we did this, you know, there's some husbands and wives that's been arguing and fussing and fighting for years, like years. I, I'm not even saying days, weeks, or months. I'm saying for years, right? Listen to this. Early writings, page 119. And this is paragraph one. If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. That is deep. <laughs> I think that's worthy repeating. Let me repeat that. If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. Five minutes? Think about how folks have been fighting for days, weeks, months, years. Most of those difficulties could have been solved in five minutes. That's how strong pride and selfishness is. Do you understand why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me? And what did he want us to learn? He said, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Do you see how if we made that a focused study, do you see how that thing could give us victory over some serious issues?
if we made an intentional position to study the humility of Christ. The point is this. Who were the two champions in 1888? Okay, so Jones and Wagner. Now, what happened to Wagner? He committed what? Adultery. You remember who it was with? Secretary. And uh, eventually, what did he do? Now, question. Wagner, you know, compromised his faith, compromised standard and principle. He committed adultery. Question. Should our ABC still sell his books? Should they still sell his books? Why should they still sell his books? The, ooh, I like that. My sister said, because the message they gave was not of them. It was of God. You don't throw out babies with bathwater. You throw the bathwater out. You don't throw the baby out. You get that? Okay, now watch this. So we can understand the difference. That even when somebody might have fallen and done something wrong, that doesn't mean that we get rid of everything they ever said or did. Right? We're not papists. Did you hear what I just said? A papist goes to a man's grave and digs up his bones and burns it. They want to erase the entire memory of the individual. We're not papists, we're Christians. We call the bad, bad, but we allow the good to be good. My brother, Samuel Pippin, he wrote many books. One thing that Dr. Pippin uh, had a tendency of doing is writing very thick books. Must we be silent? Receiving the word and all these things. And it, like big, thick, 500-page books. You knew when you picked up one of Pippin's books, you're going to have to spend a lot of time reading it. There's one book he wrote that's not even 100 pages. It's the one most people don't study. It's the one most people are unfamiliar with. But I can assure you, it is one of the most powerful spirit-led writings that that man has ever written, in my humble opinion. I carry this book with me everywhere I go. It's called The Forgotten Grace of Humility, The Cure for the Cancer of the Soul. Let me repeat that. It's called The Forgotten Grace of Humility, The Cure for the Cancer of the Soul. This whole book is dedicated to showing the humility of Christ being the means of overcoming the pride in every human soul. I have never read such a solution-oriented book to such a major problem that every single one of us have. And so I would recommend, and sadly, this book is hard to find at the ABCs. <laughs> but a lot of other people's books are gladly there when they live in open, continual apostasy and teach bold-faced error. And somehow their books are still there, but Brother Pippin's books are not. That's confusion. What I'm saying is that when we think about our home family, I am simply encouraging us to study the subject of humility. Learn the humility of Christ. For me to go into everything about the home, it's just going to take too much time. I can't do it. I just can't do it. It can't be done in an hour. And so, you know, I would simply say this in closing, because we, we got to wrap it up. They got to get ready to do the small groups. We're talking about abiding in Christ in conflict and adversity. When we're dealing with that, the first thing we need to understand is that all of us are called into ministry. When you become a baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you are not just 
a member. You are a minister. You are a disciple. All disciples are called to work. Because of this, the first conflict and adversity you will face is going to be with your self. When God calls you to deny self and take up your cross and follow him, there's going to be natural inclinations that's going to say yes when God says no and no when God says yes. The devil would like for you to believe you have to do it. The devil would like for you to believe you can't do it. When God says go, the devil's going to convince you, I can't. When God says refrain, don't go, you're gonna, the devil's going to convince you to say, I must. Because of this unbalanced emotional crisis that God's people get into, God says the solution is very simple. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? If my words abide in you, you shall ask what you want and it shall happen. So the first thing God wants us to do is go to his words. Let his word show us what to do. The Bible showed us in Joshua 24, 1 Kings 18, and Deuteronomy 30. Choose. That is the gift that God gave to you that makes you different from the animal kingdom. You can choose to go against natural inclination. An animal kingdom can't do that. You're not animals. And so no matter how strong the temptation, God has promised there's no temptation that has come upon a man except that which is common. But God is faithful and that he will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. There is never an excuse for sin. And so God's going to say, choose. And when you choose, how should we choose, family? Quickly. Psalms 119, verse 60, I made haste and I delayed not to keep thy commandments. Make haste. Once you know what's right, make haste. Do what God says. Do not parlay with the devil. That is why we keep falling. When the devil came to Jesus, Joshua is right there looking filthy. He is messed up and he got on filthy rags and the devil comes along and the devil starts accusing him. And the Lord says, the Lord rebukes you. The Lord rebukes you. Is not he a brand plucked out of the fire? You notice that's the end of the conversation. There's nothing else where God is dialoguing with Satan in Zechariah 3 after that. All that God had to say to Satan was, the Lord rebuke you. He's a brand plucked out of the fire. Go away. Do not have conversations with Satan. Don't go around, but, but if I, oh no, you could do, but no, if I try to, no, but you don't do that. That is exactly how the devil takes you down. And tomorrow, we're going to talk about the conflicts within. We're going to talk about some of those deep conflicts that we have when it comes to really trusting God. And I'm going to let you in on some of my business. There's a crisis I went through that I've never really made public. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. I already talked with God about it. He's fine with it, and I'm fine with it. What I'm saying to you, family, is that you're going to run into conflicts with self. God says, remember, choose this day and choose quickly. When you come into the faith, there's going to be all sorts of fanatical positions that are going to come at you. You believe in diet, that's what the devil's going to come. If your passion is diet, I guarantee he's going to test you on diet. If your passion is dress reform, the devil's going to get you to become an extremist in dress. Whatever your passion is, that's where you'll be attacked. Abraham was known as a man of faith. That's exactly what he was attacked on. Moses was the most meek man on earth. That's exactly where he was attacked on. Satan will literally attack you on your strength and turn it into your weakness if you let him. And so it is that whatever that thing is, you be careful. The devil's going to try to cause you to become a fanatic. If you believe you're the guy that got to speak up with everybody remains silent, he will attack you on that very point. And he will show you how to speak. And the spirit of God was saying, hold your tongue. And so because fanaticism is a danger, the problem is the first place that often people are affected by our fanaticism. Right there in the home. 
And one of the great reasons why we have conflicts in our home is largely because we are overzealous, we are unbalanced, and we can even be unsanctified with the Word of God. And that's why God calls us for careful, prayerful study. Careful, prayerful understanding. Careful, prayerful interpretation. Careful, prayerful ministry. That even when you see those in your household going in the wrong directions, that you know how to lead but not force. There's so much we could talk about. It's so sad that we have to stop. But nevertheless, we have to stop. And so my hope and my prayer is that you get these things. This is our life work, family. We got to study it. And my hope and prayer is that the things that you read begins to create a burn in your heart and that in that circle of the family, rather than the spirit of fanaticism, rather than a spirit of condemnation, we will demonstrate a spirit of sound judgment, a spirit of education, a spirit of uplifting. Brothers and sisters, I never said that these things were easy. The devil has a job to do too. But I'm grateful that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And we can be more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so my hope and my prayer is that we will learn of him. Focus on his humility. And this is how you'll find that it will be easier to overcome pride and selfishness. And this is how most difficulties will end in just five minutes. And that leaves a lot more time for heaven. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are ever so grateful for the power of your word. We thank you that even when we have conflict and adversity and ministry in the home, that as we come and reason together, as we come with the spirit of education rather than condemnation, as we come, dear God, not being overzealous, unbalanced, or unsanctified, but simply being faithful to what you have called us to do in all of its bearings, I pray that it might bring a greater relief to our homes and that we will experience the power of the abiding presence of Jesus. This is our prayer that we do ask in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org